This, this is Sirius XM Doctor Radio. And now, from the heart of the NYU Langone Medical Center, this is Orthopedics. Okay, good evening everyone. You are listening to The Orthopedic Show, coming to you live from the heart of New York City, straight from NYU Langone Health. My name is Dr. Pablo Castañeda, orthopedic surgeon here at NYU, and my co-host is Dr. Mehul Shah, orthopedic sports surgeon here at NYU Langone. You are listening to us on Dr. Radio, Sirius XM 110. We hope you can join the conversation. Please call us at 877-NYU-DOCS. That is 877-698-3627. We have a great program coming at you tonight with two great guests. and uh, We hope to have people calling in. All your orthopedic questions, the burning questions you have and you want answered, referring to anything orthopedic, bones and joints and muscles. And uh, once again, I'll give you that number. It is 877-NYU-DOCS, D-O-C-S, or 877-698-3627. So our first guest tonight is a pleasure to introduce Dr. Kelly Davis. Dr. Davis is a board-certified physician in pediatrics and sports medicine. She treats children and teens at the Children's Hospital of Orange County, Chalk in Orange, California. Dr. Davis, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk all things sports. (laughs) That's right. And hey, Mayhul, you're a sports guy. We haven't said hello to you yet. I love it. Oh, hey, guys. How you doing? Our virtual, my virtual co-host, Pablo. Or I guess I'm the virtual (laughs) co-host. That's right. I'm the one here. But we're all all virtual (laughs) now in times of COVID. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Well, the beauty of this medium is that we can reach Dr. Davis, who is out there on the West Coast. And why don't you start, Dr. Davis, by telling us a little bit about your background and why you became a uh, pediatric sports medicine specialist? Yeah, so I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, I'm getting older, but I consider myself still an athlete. And so from playing soccer and tennis and all those things, I've had my own fair share of injuries. And I didn't even realize sports medicine was a thing until I was doing my pediatric residency and I met my mentor and was like, wow, this is an awesome career. I can work with athletes and do all the things that I enjoyed as a kid and kind of just took off from there. And so I pursued more sports and did my fellowship at Vanderbilt and now get to take care of all these Orange County athletes. That's fantastic. Yes. I find there is no... um, career more rewarding than taking care of kids. I'm a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, so although I don't necessarily see all sports injuries, um, I find that treating kids is much more satisfying than adults. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I I find with... (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) No, I mean, I I, I I love athletes and I love love kids and and team sports is amazing. You know, there's no doubt that that's some of the most rewarding, rewarding, uh, you know, patients I see for sure. Yeah, just I love the motivation of these kids. You know, they really they don't want to be hurt. They don't want to be sick. They just want to do what they love. And it's nice to be able to, you know, provide that resource for them to get back to their passion and their outlet for a lot of them. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any secondary gain with kids. No secondary gain. No, they don't really exaggerate, you know. And they just mm-hmm. want to. They just want to go out there and go back to their activity. Yeah. So, Doctor Davis, you told us you were a multi-sport threat. I guess what was that? <laughs> it was it was tennis and. And soccer was my big one. Okay. Um, so, what do you think about this early specialization? Um, you know, now with more and more children getting involved in sports at a young age, we see this very early subspecialization. I was the same as you when I was growing up. I played tennis and soccer and volleyball and basketball. I was never good at any of them. <laughs> but, um, but I kind of felt that it was fun to have the breadth of all of them. And now we're seeing earlier and earlier subspecialization. What do you think of this? Is this a good thing for kids? Uh, it's not my favorite thing. Um, I think, you know, in some sports, obviously, it's necessary. The one that comes to mind is gymnastics. Because when we look at our, you know, our young gymnasts, they peak by the time they're, you know, 18. And so some sports do require a, a subset of specialization early on. But in general, that's not true. And I, I find that the kids who are actually better athletes in general and who seem to progress through high school and college and beyond are kids who really did play multiple sports as a kid. You know, they have a better repertoire all around of just physical ability because they didn't do the same thing over and over again. Um, they got more of a diverse, like, physical education, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mayhul? You know, I definitely see that in my practice. You know, I, I do see, uh, even in my home, you know, my, my son is really into basketball. And unfortunately... It's a year-long commitment these these days, you know. Mm-hmm. He used to, when he was younger, he used to play, you know, lacrosse, used to play soccer, uh, and, you know, he really started loving basketball. Now, unfortunately, the team runs year-long, you know. Um, he's on three different basketball teams, and it's tough. You know, it is really tough, and I, I, I really struggle with it, you know. And, yeah, I think, you know, uh, the days of past where – all the great athletes, you know, were multi-sport athletes. That was the guys that I went to high school with, and you know, they were the wrestlers, they were the you know the baseball players, they were the, the soccer athletes. That multi-sport mm. athletes really, really getting um, less and less frequent, to be honest. You know, and I think it definitely contributes to the overuse injuries that we're seeing these days. Yeah, so let's talk about that, Dr. Davis. Can you tell us what what do you consider an overuse injury? Um, it's just an injury that occurs over time. So there's no one definitive moment where things went from good to bad. It's sort of this progressional pain um, that they start to feel. And really, it's just the kids are doing these repetitive activities over and over again that their bodies are wearing down, and then they don't give their bodies time to repair. So that kind of breakdown versus buildup balance becomes skewed. And then they start to develop pain, you know, wherever it is, their elbow, their knee, their hips, you know, depending on the athlete. And it's just from that repetitive overuse mechanics of the sport. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, though. Is is it different to an adult um, overuse kind of injury? What makes kids different? Yeah. So I think, you know, the kids are unique in that they their bone structure is just different overall. Um, they have growth plates, so little zones of cartilage in their bone that allow for the, bo- the bone to grow. But that's also the weak link in the chain. And so what I tend to find is with my younger athletes who are still growing, they tend to have more bone related um, overuse injuries rather than what we think of as an adult, like a, 
a rotator cuff tendonitis or an Achilles tendonitis. These kids typically have more bone-related or growth plate inflammation problems instead of the soft tissue around it. Yeah, tell us a little bit about some of those because there are specific ones that affect different sports. You were talking about gymnasts. Oh, so yeah, so the probably the most common one I see in athletes um, across the board in every sport is at the knee, hmm. and that's the Osgood-Slaughter apophysitis um, or disease. By I don't like to tell my kids they're diseased; they seem to panic when Great. they hear it's that. A, it sounds like a bad word. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it, what that is is just you know in the front of the knee we all have that small bump in the front of our shin bone, and you know as they run, jump, and fire their quad muscle. The tendon that attaches there just repetitively pulls on that small growth plate in the knee, and so that front knee plate uh, growth plate is the one that I see the most common with gymnasts, soccer players, basketball players, pretty much every athlete. That's the most common injury that I see. Yeah, I mean that's one of the so what, biggest tendons in the body and one of the strongest muscles. Mayul. Yeah. You know, so a lot of times for like overuse injuries in adults, say you know the. the the cat, the correlate, the correlate of uh, injury would be like the patellofemoral pain syndrome. We would recommend physical therapy. Now, do you guys who treat kids often? Do you commonly refer to physical therapy for this, or what do you normally tell mom and dad and, and the patient? Yeah, so I do quite a bit of physical therapy referral for them. Um, we talk a lot about what I call relative rest. So depending on the severity of how much pain they're in, if it's mild, but you know, more triggered by the more intense running or jumping, we talk about letting them participate in the sport, but not doing the extra running. So if they're at soccer practice, you know, they're not doing the sprint drills or running the, um, the bleachers or doing their, you know, four field laps or whatever it is, but letting them do a little bit of scrimmaging as long as they're not limping. That's kind of my caveat. And then I refer them for a lot of flexibility training with physical therapy, these kids, as they grow, get very tight, um, particularly in the big leg muscles. And so therapy is really helpful for both stretching and teaching them how to maintain their flexibility and then help with strengthening the muscle in a way that makes it longer. We call that eccentric strengthening of that quad. So it really lessens the pull. Um, so I do use physical therapy quite a bit for these kids. Yeah, you know, but I think that's a great point because relative rest is is tricky to discern. Um, as a surgeon, I tell my patients, a bit tongue-in-cheek, that I can only offer one of two treatments, ice or surgery. That's it. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we prescribe ice and rest, but how do you keep a an otherwise healthy 12-year-old kid who wants to be playing soccer and wants to be playing basketball during recess and wants to be running around with his friends, that he needs to rest. And I've, I've always found that tricky. And then plus, if they do absolutely rest, then reconditioning can be really difficult for them. Right. Yeah, I try to, you know, talk with the parents and a lot of, at least the parents um, are very involved in their kids' athletics. And so I think they have some eyes on them, maybe not at school, but at least, you know, in when they're in their more organized sports, they have an adult who's sort of supervising or, you know, watching them. And so really, I think it comes on to us as adults, you know, not just the doctors, but as parents and coaches and teachers to kind of, you know, take these recommendations and be mindful of them when you're holding soccer practices or, you know, playing games. And if your kid's out there limping, recognizing like, hey, He's not going to pull himself out, but I should because it's the right thing to do. Hmm. Now, what do you tell your the, the parents who ask, uh, 
you know, especially with something like Osmond disease, what's the risk of playing through it? You know, Jimmy yeah, and so for- has a big, you know, playoff game and they want to play and so on and so forth. Hey, Mayhul, every game is big. <laughs> you never know who's watching. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I, it really kind of, it's a case by case um, you know, situation. If the kid's in mild discomfort, but otherwise limping, able to jog in my office, can squat down and not have a lot of knee pain, you know, we kind of discuss the risks and letting them play limited minutes, but really stress to the kid that, hey, if your pain's more than like a three out of 10, and I tell them zero is no pain and 10 is me cutting off your leg. And so kind of that mild range that's, you know, fine, play a little bit. But if it starts to creep up, they need to be re- reasonable. And, you know, I understand that that's hit or miss depending on the kid um, or if they're limping they got to come out but if it's more significant pain and you're really recommending they don't play I, I kind of go overboard and tell them you know hey look there's a chance that you fracture your kneecap you know or your or your growth plate and if you pull this off we're looking at possible surgery a big old cast you know you're out for three to six months um, so it's better to take a couple weeks now and just get better versus have to come and see me for six months because you did more damage. Yeah. Having said that, I, it's incredibly rare to actually see that happen. I do the same. And I, I have seen avulsion fractures um, of the tibial apophysis, which is this growth plate. Um, but I think it's incredibly rare. So I, I use it almost as a um, warning, but I, I, I really don't think... Um, there is almost any indications for surgery in this. Right, agreed. One of the more one of the more common things I see are the the, the young pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. Can you speak about uh, some of the, uh, you know, the the injuries you see, oblique injuries you see in uh, in uh, pitchers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my least favorite injuries. <laughs> um, those medial elbow um, growth plate fractures or injuries are probably one of the most challenging that I deal with, um, particularly once they fracture them off, which does happen, unfortunately, not uncommonly. I get several, you know, probably throughout the year that we manage, and um, I really stress with my young pitchers that if they have pain, they should not continue to throw through pain. Um, I think those injuries becoming more significant and, you know, career impacting is very real. And so I really try to talk with the parents about the importance of rest and time off throughout the season and not being the pitcher and the catcher and the shortstop. You know, that's kind of the classic setup for these kids getting into trouble. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I see that, you know, Either they're going from pitching to playing third base, you know, another one that, you know, requires a lot of throw or a catcher, or um, even just playing in multiple multiple leagues, right? Um, right. Where they're, quote-unquote, yeah. observing pitch counts per league, <laughs> but they're pitching multiple times a week, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's frustrating. Not only uh, elbow injuries, but also the shoulder as well. Right. Quick yeah, reminder, say... sorry, just we are, we are listening to Dr. Kelly Davis, a board-certified physician in pediatrics and sports medicine. You are listening to The Orthopedic Show here on Dr. Radio, Sirius XM 110. And once again, I'm going to give you the phone number so that you can join the conversation. It is 877-NYU-DOCS. Again, this is The Orthopedic Show, and you are listening to Dr. Kelly Davis, who is about to tell us a little bit more about the little league pitchers and 
um, how they see that all their heroes are all getting Tommy John surgery. <laughs> so they're asking why they're not getting surgery. Yeah. I must say, I, of my pitchers that I see, all of them tell me, oh, no, I don't throw too much. I only throw this many days a week. We always follow our counts. But when you ask them more specific questions, they all know exactly how fast they throw. They all know, like, how many of each type of pitch, off-speed, fastballs, you know. So I think they're not always completely honest with me when they say, oh, no, I only do 30 pitches once a week. I don't believe them. So... Yeah. Well, we also know for a fact that um, to become one of these elite pitchers, it does take a huge amount of repetition. And I, I think the struggle there is they're hearing different things from their coaches than what sometimes we're telling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to emphasize having them play. If they're really passionate about pitching, I try to tell them to play third base or shortstop for most of their early career because they are learning to throw a targeted hard ball into a small zone to get the runner out at first, but they're not getting the same repetition. And then once they get to high school and they're more mature and developed, then transitioning to a pitching role. And I think, you know, you look at these major league guys and it's not uncommon for players to kind of reinvent themselves over time. So I don't think pitching at 12 is the end all be all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, these days these kids get pigeonholed in at such an early age, unfortunately. Right, agreed. So tell us a little bit about how you counsel on stretching before and after and um, ice regimens. That's another thing I've seen um, kids see on TV. They see these pitchers get a huge ice pack on their shoulder or their elbow and just keep it on for hours. Yeah. So I am a big proponent of stretching. I think um, a good dynamic or movement stretch or warm-up before you play is important, so not so much the typical static stretch that we think of um, where you're sitting and holding something for, like, 30 seconds. And I like doing – I kind of tell my kids, like, I like doing that with those Dyna bands or the J bands. You can get a pretty good warm-up and stretch with movement before and then um, a good static stretch after you're done. So once you're done with your activities, that's when you do your static stretch and hold. And I ice only after they're done with activities. Most of my kids, I say 20 minutes at the end of your activity, and then you're done. Put the ice away, and you're good to go. Yeah, you know, I was reading an interesting op-ed in one of my favorite medical journals, um, the New York Times, about um, about six or eight months ago. Did you see this, Mayhul, where it actually said you can over-ice? Um, I, I haven't seen it. What they, I mean, are they, were they mostly concerned about um, dermal injuries or was there other, like... No, it was actually talking about... It, it was actually talking about um, tissue recovery and how extreme hypothermia doesn't actually allow tissue recovery. So while... We typically don't think of a limit on on ice. It was actually mentioning like muscle fiber recovery being damaged by prolonged hypothermia. So I forget the actual wow. science. Again, it wasn't in a scientific journal, but it was a compelling editorial that actually made me think twice. I do the same as Dr. Davis. I kind of tell patients, use it for a while, 20 minutes. Um, but I was I was interested in reading it, and I, I you know now I'm I'm sort of double thinking about this, and I'm telling them just to put it on for five minutes twice a day, and that might be just as effective. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. 
So, Dr. Davis, tell us a little bit about how, so how do you work with the coaches and the parents? What do you do? How do you communicate with them to all be on the same page? Because, again, sometimes it is a challenge. Every parent thinks their child is the next um, <laughs> LeBron James. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, with the coaches, you know, um, I don't have a lot of direct access with them. It's just, you know, the they're just not, it's not like one school, you're at a university, and there they are type of thing. So, I really rely on the parents to kind of be advocates for these kids um, and I think that most of them and, and parents in general really want what's best for their kid I don't ever assume that the parent is out here you know trying to do harm or anything and that's the approach I take with them um, and I think that's really effective so just kind of assuming from the standpoint that this parent wants what's best for their kid and then we discuss what that is and then usually I can get them to buy in um, with that standpoint and and I always tell them, like, my job is not to tell you that your kid can't play. That's not why I do what I do. But we need to take a break. And I need you to help me help this kid take a break so that we can get him back safely and effectively. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to kind of get everyone on board and on the same page. And as long as everyone's working towards the same goal, which is um, optimizing that child's lifestyle and hopefully their sports then then we're all for it yeah and i think when i do my exams too i'm really active with the parents like showing them what i'm looking at particularly for like baseball players when you're looking at their shoulders and their elbows because often their um their deficits in mechanics are very obvious and so once the parents can see it visually they buy in a lot better too like oh man i never even noticed that his shoulder blade did that you know and they're like mm -hmm. yeah this is why this will make him a better thrower. And so then you kind of get that, okay, I can see that now, and it helps. Yeah, what about repeated overuse injuries? Because we see this all the time as well, where you know someone comes in with some shoulder pain, then it does go away, but the next season it comes back. Yeah, I, th I think um, I talk to them about that, and I tell them that like the exercises that they learn in therapy are often like brushing your teeth for athletes. So these things help, but only when you do them. And so, you know, they feel better, they stop doing their exercises, they get back to what they were doing before, and then the problem recurs. And so we talk about, you know, you brush your teeth every day. If you miss every now and again, your teeth don't fall out. Um, but in general, to have good teeth, you have to brush. And so the same is true with their shoulders. You know, so to have a healthy shoulder, you gotta maintain and keep doing these things that um, help you get better in the first place. So we talked about um, little league shoulder, elbows in, in baseball players, knees and everyone, but especially in, <laughs> in kicking sports. What about gymnast wrist? That's something I see at least a handful of every year. Agreed. Yeah, Orange County seems to have a little hotbed of gymnasts, so I get a handful of those as well. And so what the gymnast wrist is, is from that repetitive loading on their hands, which most of us don't weight bear on our hands very frequently, they start to disrupt the growth plate of the main bone in their wrist, the radius. And so I do get um, a handful of kids, not as common as the other ones, but who get some pretty significant widening and irritation of the growth plate from that repetitive loading on their hands. Yeah, the struggle for me with those is they do begin so young. They're so um, early yeah. when they're beginning to go on their hands. Um, and I'm, I'm not even sure there are great guidelines on this like they do in ballet where they take years before they go on point. Um, my impression is gymnasts are going on their hands pretty quickly. Agreed. I think they start 
I know their tracks are different. So when they are in a lower level, their track or their tumbling floor is much more springy. Hmm. And so I think that helps limit some of the impact. But certainly the kids who are good progress to the higher levels very quickly. Um, so you definitely run into that problem. I will recommend them using um, tiger paws sometimes. They're like a wrist guard that they can tumble in to help kind of give their wrist some uh, extra support when they're weight bearing. But just like everything, you know, once they start to develop pain, we really talk about having to rest, recover. Sometimes I put those kids in uh, short arm cast for a small period of time, depending on how bad their growth plate looks. Yeah. Mayhul, do you get x-rays when those patients come in all the time? Do you always get x-rays? Um, I mean, I don't take care of wrist injuries per se very often. Um, but when they do, I, I always get x-rays. I get x-rays pretty much in every I'm the same. The orthopedic stethoscope, right? Yeah. Well, so, you know, the, the, the one reason I, I ask it is because if we can only offer one of two treatments, what's the distinction we're making? I mean, if you're getting an x-ray, is that going to change your treatment or are you still going to prescribe the same rest? and ice and stretching you know you know I, I mean i would say this and this is not just in this noble use injuries but in general you know one time i was seeing a patient you know which you know uh, uh it was uh, uh lateral condylitis or tennis elbow right an adult and i didn't get an x-ray and then one of my colleagues like criticized me he's like you know for not for nothing it's tennis elbow if you proved it's not x y and z Mm-hmm. And how you prove it's not X, Y, and Z, like arthritis or non fracture or whatever, is getting an X-ray. And then you can say it's kind of dumb. It, yes, you know, things like arthritis and those kind of things in children in particular are less common. Right. So maybe in children we, we do things, uh, you know, get X-rays more commonly. But in the adult population, you know, it, 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 you know not for everything, but um, yeah. right. X-rays are, are more useful. And I think it's helpful, too, for the parents to see, because, like, what I'll do is I'll show them the x-ray with their, like, significantly widened, you know, radial growth plate, and I'll Google a picture and say, hey, this is what it should look like, and this is what yours looks like, and they can kind of, again, get that visual of, like, ooh, okay, that looks really bad. And, again, it helps really have them buy into this rest, no tumbling recovery that you're trying to sell because their mindset is, no, it's fine. It's just a little pain. It's a sprain. I want to get back. And so when you start showing them, like, look at the damage she's doing, I think the x-ray can be helpful, even though it doesn't really change my management. Right. What's the threshold to get an MRI on these patients, any of these kind of conditions? Uh, Mine is a little higher. (laughs) I don't know. I think if they... the way I look at an MRI is almost like a pre-surgical test, right? So right. you sort of have the diagnosis. If you don't have a diagnosis, if someone has you know, continued pain and no widening of physis on, on X-ray and the pain continues, then maybe, maybe it's something. But it wouldn't be like first line, right? Yeah, agreed. I, I tell, And that's exactly what I tell these families. Like, hey, when we're getting an MRI, we're thinking about, like, what do I need to operate on? Um, or, you know, and I don't do surgeries, but what do I need to refer you for to operate on? And you don't have that. You know, I don't think that's going to be necessary. Sometimes the family still want it, and I don't always fight the good fight, you know, but I try to explain that it's not often necessary and that with rest and time, um, they'll see improvement. All right. Well, this has been an excellent discussion. Once again, you are listening to Dr. Kelly Davis. 
here on the Orthopedic Show. We do have to take a break, um, but I'd like to remind everyone that we have the Orthopedic Show live every Monday from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time with repeats throughout the week here on Dr. Radio Sirius XM 110. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to take your calls. So any questions you might have, Dr. Davis, I hope you can stick around, but I understand if you're busy. Yeah, I can stay for a few more minutes. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a break, and on the other end of the um, break, we will take your calls. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to The Orthopedic Show Coming to you live from NYU Langone Health on Dr. Radio Sirius XM. Quick reminder, you can always call us to join the conversation at 877-NYU-DOCS. That is 877-NYU-DOCS or 877-698-3627. You are listening to Dr. Pablo Castañeda. I am a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. My co-host, Dr. Mehul Shah, who is a orthopedic sports surgeon, and we have Dr. Kelly Davis, who is a pediatric sports medicine specialist out on the West Coast, four time zones away from us. <laughs> uh, so we have a, a caller, Tom from Florida. You're on. Oh, it's an email. Sorry about that. My bad. So Tom uh, says his 15-year-old son plays football and wants to play in college. And could you discuss the types of stretches he should be doing before and after practice? And he says he hasn't had any injuries, but his wife and he are concerned that he could get one at any time. He also does off-season training, and is this beneficial for him? Yeah, so... um... I think, like I talked about a little bit, dynamic warm-ups are really good in terms of prevention of injury for, like, muscles and um, the joints and that type of thing. And then static stretching when you're done. So the typical quad, hamstring, calf, you know, glute, your normal, you know, hold and stretch kind of routine, um, I think is really important for these football guys. And the other thing I recommend for my football players, which they always kind of roll their eyes at me when I say it, is yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these athletes lack core stability and flexibility, and that's really what yoga is. And so I recommend working that into their, you know, typical routine one to two times a week um, to help with those deficits. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I like um, yoga, Pilates, all these things that can help with core strength. I think they help all athletes. Agreed. What about um, ACL prevention? You know, exercises too. Do you incorporate that in your in your, in your uh, pediatric population? I know it's not an overuse injury, but I think it's something you know the the FIFA program or any of the other programs that are out there. Yeah, I definitely do. So most of my athletes who come in with knee pain, um, especially if they get referred to physical therapy, I write in their prescription that I want them to work on dynamic stability and ACL prevention. Um, so even if they're seeing me for something completely unrelated, if it has to do with their knee, uh, we definitely talk about that and incorporate those exercises into their routine. That's great. Yeah. We have another email coming in from uh, Monica in New Jersey, who is uh, telling us that her daughter, who is a gymnast, was just diagnosed with hypermobility syndrome. And uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Can you discuss hypermobility syndrome? 
Yeah, so the, the hypermobility syndrome is, is a diagnosis that um, you get when your joints move more than the average person. So typically they'll hyperextend at their elbows, they hyperextend at their knees. If you bend forward with your legs straight, usually they can put their palms flat on the floor. So their ligaments just move more than the average person. And so it can put them at increased risk for injury, um, particularly things like shoulder dislocations, patella dislocations can be problematic with these athletes. Um, so what I recommend for them is a lot of strength training and physical therapy. Um, so I, the muscles become really important because the strength of the muscle needs to sort of compensate for the lack of stability that the ligament is providing. Yeah, I agree. We see this sometimes with a condition I see fairly often, which is hip dysplasia. And we know for a fact that many of those patients have hypermobility. So what I tell them is you can't change your genes. You can't at this point change the shape of your hip, but you can strengthen the muscles around it. So that's the, the one thing you can truly focus on. You can't really strengthen ligaments. Agreed. Well, I know that um, Dr. Davis does have to leave us. I am very grateful for you staying on for the extra few minutes to take those calls. Um, and a reminder, you are listening to The Orthopedic Show. So thanks very much to Dr. Kelly Davis from Children's Hospital of Orange County. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was thanks, great having you on. Appreciate it. But the conversation is still going. We hope that if you have any questions, burning questions in orthopedics, anything related to bones and joints.